we're going to try to go in more into this concept, this great parable that Jesus told in John chapter uh, 15 about the vine and the branches. In John chapter 16, while you're turning there, we're gonna, again, the focus of, of uh, John chapter 15 is not the branches. It's not the Christians. The focus is himself. And, and a lot of times we don't value the vine. We value what, what we think we need. We value about value. When I say value, it's what your eyes are on. It's what your attention is on. It's what your heart is set on. And don't you notice how many times our heart is set on our problems? Our heart is set on our needs. Our heart is set on our lack. Our heart is set on our, our the pressures and the stress. And Jesus said, hello, 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 hello. Focus on me for a while. So we're going to talk about the value of the vine, part two. And in chapter 15, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the disaster of his death, at least in their eyes, in the eyes of the world, and for the life that they're going to live after his resurrection. He's, he's already tried to prepare them for their failure. As a matter of fact, he sat down with them at the Last Supper, and what did he tell them? One of you is going to betray me tonight. And then he says even the worst words, he says, and then all of you will abandon me. I mean, then how, how do you walk away from that? I mean, the disciples all looked at him and says, is, is it going to be me? And, and it was so, it's just a shock. But now he focuses in chapter uh, 14, 15, and 16, he's preparing them for the life that they're going to get to live after his resurrection. So uh, he's got so many things he'd like to tell them, so many things he still wants them to know and understand, but there's no more time. Chapter 16 and verse 12, Jesus says these words, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. It is the end of the day. They've they've had a great meal with the, the Passover and then the Last Supper. But he says, you guys, you just can't take any more in. Kind of like Darren in church, you know how he was saying this morning, confessing his faults one to another. That's what it was. So, <laughs> welcome to the family. Amen. Anyway. Jesus got so many things that he would have loved to have continued, but it's it's about wrapping things up. So when you look at chapter, really, it should start back in chapter 13 and 14 and 15 and 16. These are the final things that he's trying to squeeze in before his death. Now, um, by way of, and, and those things are some of the most important things for the Christian life. He talks about loving the brethren. He talks about uh, uh his second coming, he says, if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. He's talking about some of the most important things for us while he's gone. Listen, he's not here. It must have been amazing to walk with Jesus, to watch him and, and to listen to him and to just, just, just be around him. But he says, I got to go away. So he's preparing them for kind of being on our own. And yet we're not. So, um, now, Last week I talked to you about the anatomy, the makeup of a grapevine. I talked about the garden, the vineyard. And the garden, and we're not going to go through all this stuff, but the garden is what? What when he said when he said the garden, what was he referring to? Was he referring to some soil and some plants uh, in the back of your house? Is that what he's referring to? Somebody raise your hand. Tell me, what is the garden referring to? Our life. This is this is the whole purpose. When, 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 when these, these Christians are there, he says, there's a garden and, and it needs some work. Would you agree with that? Okay. So, 
Secondly, the vine. And who did we know the vine is? Jesus tells us who the vine is, but somebody raise your hand and tell me, what's the vine? No, not we. Oh, what did you say? I misunderstood you. Somebody tell me, raise your hand, tell me. It's Jesus. First verse, chapter 15, verse 1 says, I am the true vine. So there's some discrepancies. You might have Muhammad trying to be a vine. You might have Confucius trying to be the vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. So we find out the vine is Jesus. Then we have a gardener. Who's the gardener? It's God the Father. We've gone over this. Uh, gardens don't grow on their own. They need a gardener or else you've got weeds and nettles and thistles and that's it. Then we talked about the branches. Who are the branches? Raise your hand if you know who a branch is, who the branch is. It's us. The branches are the believers. Um, find my next one. Then we talked, then we looked at the fruit. The fruit of this whole process. What's the fruit? Somebody give me. Uh, well, it's actually not. The word is not the fruit. Dina? Amen. The fruit of the Spirit. And there was, there were, those, those, those were nine, but that wasn't all there is. There are plenty of other. We'll talk about those, we'll review those again in just a moment. But there's a lot of fruit that ought to be in the life of the branch. Question is, is there? So I drew, I showed you a picture of a proper vine and branches up there. Now this is, this is at the time when there's no fruit or anything, just so that you can see, no leaves, no nothing, but Jesus says, I am the vine. There's only one vine here, but there's lots of branches. So that's how he's speaking. Uh, the most important truth that we learn, that Jesus is the vine. And as the vine, that means he's the author, the sustainer of our very life. Uh, he, you know, he that hath the Son hath life. So um, he, without him, we could do nothing. There in chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine and ye are the what? Okay, so where are we? Are we that mighty vine holding up? No. I mean, we're just this little bitty twig up here. And we're, in, we're amongst the midst of other branches. And um, uh, verse, continue in verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, seven times Jesus reveals that he is the I am in Scripture, which is a great connection showing you he's his deity. So he's the true vine, and without him, we can do nothing. I mean, we can't even produce leaves. We, we, we're just a stick on the ground, and without him, what happens to sticks on the ground, especially if you're in a country that doesn't have a lot of sticks? It gets burnt. It gets used just to cook bread or something. So, uh, we'd have no life at all without the vine. We learn that we are only the branches. Two important truths to remind yourself about branches. Number one, we have no life without the vine. And secondly, we have no value without fruit. A lot of people are glad to be saved. How many glad you're saved tonight? How many glad you're really saved tonight? I mean, really glad that you're really saved. Come on. Okay. Well, it is, there's one. There, it is very important for us to, to move beyond that and realize I have no life without Christ in my life but I have no value, meaning there's nothing good that, that is a result of my life unless I have fruit. I need to be producing spiritual fruit. 
So the vine supplies me life. I'm in the vine. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And so there's a connection. There's a, a there's a, a oneness from the root to the tip of the branches. We're all one. And a branch can have the semblance of life. How can a branch look like it's got life? What is it? Come on, raise your hand. Come on, stay with me. Yes, ma'am? Leaves. A branch can look. Some of you are afraid to raise your hand because you know you're going to say something wrong. Say it anyway. I know you did. That was very, very, very good. But it can look like a branch has got life. But all it's got is leaves. And, and it may have a semblance of life, but it has no fruit, which means it's not really, something's wrong. So the reason for born, being born again is not to produce leaves. Some of you can quote scripture. Amen. Some of you uh, can say, stand up here and say, I believe the King James Bible. Some of you can, can say, you know, and, and, and do great things. But without spiritual fruit, all you are is a leafy branch. You need to have fruit. So, the reason why God saved you was so that you could produce fruit. So there is a, a produce, there's a result of you and Him in a relationship. So, what is our fruit? We went through some of these things. A Christian's fruit is the byproduct of our connection to the vine. Simple abiding union with Christ is the main condition for all fruitfulness. I know I need to be clean by the Word. I know I need to love the brethren. I know all of these things. But the, and I'm going to really hammer this in a few minutes, the most important way that I'll ever produce fruit is I'll spend time with Him. I'll abide with Him. And fruit is only possible because of a union with Him. Because of a connection to Him that is preeminent, that is more important than any other relationship I might have in this life. If you have no fruit, what did John the Baptist say? John this Baptist says, you better bring forth fruit that proves you repented. Amen. Because he said, because the axe is laid to the, to the base of the trees, and, and uh, the trees will be cut down and cast into the fire. So if you got no fruit, Jesus came to a, a fig tree, and it had no fruit, and he cursed it. You know, I'm glad he's, got, he's patient. But one of these days, he's going to come back, and this world is not going to be ready. Would you agree? You know, we need to be ready. I don't need to put it off to, well, I need to learn some more. Yeah, I know, we all need to learn some more. Uh, you know, I need to mature some more. I need some more uh, uh, time, Brother um, uh, Eric, before I go soul winning. I, I know I need to win a soul, but, but listen, the Lord's coming back and you'll have no second chance. And you'll regret it for all eternity. Now, there are various fruits. We talked about the nine fruits of the Spirit. We've looked at righteous living I mean, living right is a fruit of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was not a relation, it was not your relationship to a bottle that helped you live right. Amen. It wasn't your friends that got you to live right. It was your walk with Jesus Christ that got you to live holy. Uh, children are a blessing of the Lord. I know, um, uh, we were talking about it this morning, Eileen, it was a surprise, uh, for number five, but there, that's a blessing for the Lord. Amen. That's, that's fruit that God gives us. Uh, praise is the fruit of our lips. Wisdom is the fruit of, of our desperate cry for, for God. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, because it is a fruit. Uh, patience is something that is an out, uh, um, 
an outgrowth or a, or a result of my time with God. If you're impatient, guess where you need to go? To the prayer closet. And then power with God, getting what you ask for, is a result of uh, abiding in the vine. And ultimately, the last one, souls one to Christ. Uh, the tree, um, uh, oh, come on, help me, uh, Brother Dan. Um, I know, but what's the first part? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. A tree? You have a, you have a tree? The fruit of the righteous. It's like a tree of life. You offer life. People can pick from you and take from you and, and, and drain you dry. And they walk away going, I got something from that guy. And he that winneth souls is wise. So the fruit of the righteous is to win souls. So, now tonight what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to talk about what the gardener does. Who's the gardener? God the Father. I'm going to talk about what he does and why. I'm going to talk about pruning. We're going to delve into that. What the vine does for us, what Christ expects of us as branches, and the big deal about barrenness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in this time, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear. Keep us on the edge of the seat, because that one word, abide, we need to learn, and we need to live. We need to live it. I pray it should help us, Lord. We're, we're tired of being powerless. We're tired of having lots of leaves, but no fruit. Would you give us a, a, a hunger for fruit? Each branch is different. Each branch will produce different fruits, but they will produce fruit. Give us that desire to produce precious, eternal fruit. Fruit that really matters. Fruit that's a blessing first to you and then to people around us. Please. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, what the gardener does and why. Um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First thing, hold your place here in John. Well, no, I got a few scriptures to go to. We'll come back to John chapter 15 in a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What does the gardener do? Well, the first thing he does is he attaches us to the vine. 1 Corinthians 12. In verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one, and he's speaking of the body of Christ, the church. As the body is one unit and hath many members. I don't know how many members I have, but I got at least 10 fingers, at least, and at least 10 toes. Amen? Are you with me? That was a joke. I've got 20 members right there. You heard about... Now, I won't go some jokes, never mind. Um, but uh, you've, got, you've got one nose, two ears, two eyes, two chins maybe, I don't know. Two, uh, uh, you've got lots of members. Well, let's keep going. For as the body is one and have many members, and all the members of that one body being many, still are one what? They're just one body, so also is Christ. So the human body is like Christ's body. For, as, for by one spirit, what spirit was it? The Holy Spirit. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. He attached us to this one body when we got saved, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So, we're, we're, it, was, it was He. I, I didn't find Christ, and I didn't attach myself. The gardener grafted me in, adopted me in, birthed me in, put me into Christ. Secondly, he weeds around us. Whether you noticed it or not, 
before you got saved, the Lord was trying to clear stuff out of your life so that you would have your attention on Him. You remember that? Plenty of people end up in the hospital. Some people lose their jobs. You know, it's usually out of a crisis that somebody gets saved. If I had you raise your hands, I'd say, how many of you were at Brock Bottom when somebody gave you the gospel? How many of you were, were so messed up, so lost, and Lord, God seemed to just strip everything away from you? That was the Lord weeding things out of your life so that he got your attention. Did you know he does that still? That's the work of the gardener. He weeds the garden. You get saved and all of a sudden all the stuff starts coming back into your life. It happens naturally. You don't even have to go looking for sin. It just shows up back in your life. And he goes to start to weeding it. Amen. That's what a gardener does. But it gets worse. He then prunes and that's not a vegetable or a fruit. <laughs> it's his most important work of all. The chief secret, I read this, and this is from, this is from a gardener, uh, site talking about how to grow the best fruits and vegetables. Listen to this. The chief secret of fruitful gardening is merciless pruning. Wow, that guy can preach. It is the cutting away of as much as possible, stripping things back to the bottom. That is the key to growth and to fruit. Jesus says the main thing that is needed in a plant is to not leave it alone. What I want is for everybody to just leave me alone sometimes. Anybody else have that feeling? Just leave me alone. But Jesus says, no. Because if I leave you alone, you won't produce what? Fruit. So he comes into your life and clip, clip, clip. Now, I'll tell you this. Um, let me, I'll, I'll talk about it in a second. I don't like that. I don't like me accomplishing something and then the Lord taking that away. I don't like it when the Lord cuts away what I think is good in my life. What I think is, 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 is an accomplishment, a great thing in my life. And the Lord comes along and clips what looks like a good branch out of my life. Anybody else feel that way? I don't like it. But he does that. He cuts us back all the way beyond what we like. The main thing in your life is to not leave you alone. So use his sharp tools. Go to, go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. <clears throat> Have you found as you grew in your walk with God and as you got, got more and more into the Bible, have you not found that the Bible sometimes is very uncomfortable? Does it ever cut you? Look at the Bible. For the word of God is quick. I like both meanings of the word. A lot of people only want it to mean alive, and it is living. But that book, it's it's like it's like a like a surgeon's knife. The surgeon doesn't come along and just I'll just gently go. No, the surgeon comes along and it cuts somebody open without any hesitation at all. The word of God is quick, and what's the next word? Powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Oh, how I wish 
that that meant that the word of God would cut my enemy. Don't look at me like I didn't say something. We want the Bible to hurt someone else, but it was written to hurt who? The reader. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to, to the dividing asunder of my soul and my spirit and of the joints and the marrow. It gets down underneath the skin and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of my heart. I don't like that. <laughs> That's pruning. It cuts. That's the purpose of the word of God. Go to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27. So what does God use to cut you sometimes? The Bible. Another thing God will give you. Another thing God will give you, uh, put in your life to cut you, to prune you, are the words of a good friend. I'm not talking about the words of the old friends. I'm not talking about the words of a good friend. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You want a good friend? Let him tell you what is wrong. Let him tell you how to get right. Let him tell you what needs to be said. Amen? Listen. The words of a good friend will cut you and will prune you. You know, a good friend will tell you, tell you, you know, you're bitter. good friend will look at you and tell you, you know, you're backslid. <laughs> Amen? That'll cut you. I mean, if I went up to Kathy, I'd have to duck. But if I went up to Kathy, I'd say, Kathy, you'll backslid. She wouldn't like it, neither would I. Amen? Hearing that from somebody. But a good friend will tell you that, and he'll cut them. Because that's what the Lord does when he's pruning us. So he, the gardener cuts us, prunes us. Go to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. This one, you got to know the context, but I'll just give you the verse. Let you chew on it. It's a great one. Speaking of how sometimes the Lord blesses you and sometimes he gives you affliction. <clears throat> Psalm 137 and verse 39. What? No, can't be. There is no 39. Goodness gracious. 109. Where is it? Well, by affliction cuts us. I wish I knew where it was. I don't know how I did that wrong. Uh, affliction. Troubles from the Lord are meant to humble us and drop us to our knees. That is a cutting time in your life. And God will, you say, would the Lord ever trouble me? Would he ever hurt me? Yeah. Yeah. It's called affliction. And even David says it over and over in Psalm 119. He says, thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. You, you cut me down to size and I needed it. Amen. So that's what he does. And thankfully, if you have a if you have a good gardener, and you have a garden, you know what you need? Some walls around the garden. In America, we call it chicken wire. <laughs> you put a fence around that. You've, you've planted strawberries. What an Egypt would plant strawberries and then let any animal in there and eat them. God, you say, why does God stop me from, from being around other uh, being, being with all these other girls that, that I want to go dating with. Why, 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 does, why does God seem to stop me and, 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 and give me a heart attack when I want to go be with this unsaved girl? Why, why, is it, why is it so hard? Maybe God's putting a wall around you 
from being stupid. Amen. Why did my parents drag me to church and make me sit in Sunday school and make me hear that old loudmouth preacher? By the way, I was with Celine yesterday. Funniest statement ever. Where as soon as we meet her in the morning, there was Celine and Lily comes up alongside her, and, and Celine says, "Man, I'm so glad the old wind is gone." <laughs> The old wind. I said, who are you talking about? Because Lily had just come. So, but she was talking about the wind. But some of you, that was, it, it was funny for me yesterday. But the point is this. Sometimes, sometimes you think that long-winded preaching, hard preaching is just rough. It's a wall around you. Somebody's trying to help you so that you say, you know what? I need to back away from some of that sin I'm playing with. I need to stay away from some of that stuff on the internet. I need to not not be staying up so late watching that stuff on television because God wants to put a wall around you because he's invested in you so you produce fruit that that stuff will rob you of. So he places hedges around us. You thank God for your parents. I don't care how messed up on they are, how messed up they may be. They try to protect you. And you may find all kinds of fault with this preacher, but I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to show you where the walls ought to be, where the lines are, and where to stay in so that you survive and you bear fruit for the Lord. What does a gardener do? He's faithful to you. I mean, he just didn't, you know, when the gardener starts working at a garden, he stays with it till the harvest. I'm looking forward to that day, amen. Thank God for a, that God is a faithful gardener in your life. If you don't have God making your life sometimes miserable, if he's not at work in your life, I'd ask him why. Because he's at work in mine. Just remember that all his efforts are for fruit. He's not doing it because you're his special child. <laughs> it's because he wants all his branches to bear fruit. Now, pruning. There are two main points to this message. Pruning and abiding. Let me talk about pruning first of all. Why does... God have to do so much pruning in our lives. It's for fruit. For Christ's likeness. In order for Christ to appear, he has to take me out. What did John the Baptist say? As, as in the peak of his ministry, what did John the Baptist say? He must increase. So I gotta decrease. What's that mean? Guess what the Lord did? Picked up John and put him in prison. Removed his freedom. Stopped his voice. He never had a voice anymore. He pruned him back. So that Christ got all the glory. So you find yourself sometimes being shrunk in influence, in, in, in success, so that Christ can shine. So that Christ can shine. I don't like it any more than you do. Is for the room. Hey, pruning removes branches. End of story. Removes two two kind of branches, according to John chapter 15. Dead ones and fruitful ones. Now, I hope that freaks you out. You see, John chapter 15. If I was a gardener, and you can tell I'm not, but if I was a gardener and I went out to a tree and there were three dead branches on there, I'd have no problem breaking off the dead branches. Amen? Amen? But I have a problem going up to the leafy, beautiful, hefty, strong-looking branch and cutting that off. That's hard for me to do. The Lord doesn't have a problem with it. 
because it's not it's 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 not the fact that there's life there. He wants more life there. So he takes away two kinds of branches, dead ones and fruitful ones. Let's read. John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. He's the gardener. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, what does he do? He purges that one too, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you cling to the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, it except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine. Here are those branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. How can I glorify you, Father? How can I make my life actually matter to you and to your glory? That you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. And by the way, pruning, as much as it would be hard to understand, it's out of love. Verse 9 says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. So pruning removes branches. Now, we normally, I mean, that's a lot of pruning. Would you agree? I was over at the O'Hagans there last Saturday. And um, what's his name? First name. Ty. Ty O'Hagan. Clive, thank you. Sounded right. Clive. Uh, so I got over there. I'm driving up there and he's on this, he's on this, uh, um, uh, ladder and he's got these huge clippers and he's got these huge, I'm sure they were 12 feet tall hedges there. And I'm telling you, 90% of those hedges were now on the ground. There was a ton of branches and leaves from his hedges all cut down. He'd been working all day long cutting down these hedges. And I looked at him and went, what a waste. Those look like perfectly good hedge leaves and branches and stuff. But he knew something I was just learning. And that is, if you want that thing to stay strong in the wind, strong in the storms, you cut it back as far as you can. And he cut a lot of it. There was a ton of stuff on the ground. Now this wasn't, this is not his view. This was not, this was just giving you a picture. I should have taken a picture of it. Now, when I want the Lord to work on my life, I don't mind trimming. What's the difference between pruning and trimming? That's trimming. Trimming just perfects, just sort of just comes along and fixes some imperfections. But that's not pruning. Pruning cuts it down to where it's bare and there's no beauty to it. Are you with me? When you prune a hedge, you cut it back to where it looks like it's dead. And the Lord does that to us. And we say, why would he do that? Why would he strip me down to where everybody looking at me would go, boy, what happened to you? Instead of, boy, you've done great. It's, 
You look like a failure. That's what pruning is. How many of you look forward to it? Pruning reaches deep down into the branch and cuts away what looks alive and what looks fine. What branches are pruned? I thought of five. Well, the first one is almost all branches. <laughs> I got this. Almost all branches are pruned. I, a gardener doesn't look and go and, and, and see in the course of a tree or some fruit tree, doesn't go, oh, I won't touch this branch. No, there's almost never going to be a branch that doesn't get severely cut back. Secondly, any dead branch. If you don't remove the dead branches, you're actually securing the death of the vine. You're actually potentially going to kill that vine. You've got to cut away death. And isn't that true in our life? That's why when I got saved, I got preached to so many times because I was holding on to my rock music. I had such a source coming still into my life, even as a Christian, that it was draining me and stopping me from ever being used of God, from ever having any true life or fruit for my relationship. So I, what I did, guess what I did? I was a, I was your normal 17 year old teenager. I got Christian rock music. <laughs> Certainly that would be better. And he was still sapping me dry. Amen. God had to take away that stuff that was dead so that I could produce fruit. So any dead branch, the Lord is going to pull out. Now, most of us will will ultimately say, okay, Lord, take this thing that is dead in my life. Take ACDC from me. I hope you'll say that. Let me slap you if you don't. But we don't like him to take things that are dead that we didn't know they were killing us. When there's too much of a branch, you ever met anybody that's so full of themselves? Like a puffer fish? Any branch that is too big has to be cut back. Because the branch can't produce fruit when there's too much of it. So sometimes the Lord is trying to cut us down so we have no pride left. I don't like that. Fourth one is, even the best of branches. You'd say, they're so-and-so. They walk with God. They love God. They're at church every week. They, they give sacrificially. They read their Bible twice every year. They've won four souls so far in six months. Woo! And then you watch God strip them down and strip them and strip them and prune them. And you say, why? They were so good. Because God wants more fruit. So when we go around and we're quick to judge and say, oh, so-and-so, boy, I wouldn't like to be so-and-so. They're going through a time. Don't be so quick to judge. God's doing some pruning and he's doing right and good. Fifth one is some branches are left alone. And I, I tell you this, some of you are saying, well, the Lord hadn't, hadn't pruned me in a while. Thank God. <laughs> because sometimes he's just letting you grow and, and, and go through a cycle before he has to cut you down. Just be ready. It does happen. And like I showed you, it looks like a waste of good branches and growth when, when the Lord strims us back. Now, the awfulness of barrenness. Go to 2, Timothy, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1.
Second Peter chapter one, verse four. whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, of Christ's nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Beside all this, giving all diligent, add to your faith, and then he lists eight things, virtue, well, seven more things, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, add patience, and to patience, add godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, add charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be, what's that word? She be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, is nearsighted, only sees things around him and in himself, can't see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was even purged from his own old sins. Do you, do you remember, do you remember all the kinds of fruit we used to be producing before we got saved? Remember all that wicked? All you were doing was you were fulfilling lusts. Do you know, uh, once we got saved, it brings, I think I got my thoughts reversed here, but just take it anyway. The fruit that we should be producing will produce joy and meaning and power to life. Where's the power? The power is an answer to prayer. Do you know what he said that? It's a blank check in the Bible. Some of you don't even know what checks are anymore. But a blank check, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you want. Wouldn't that be powerful? There's some things I'd bet Kathy would ask if she knew she'd get it. Amen. She'll ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Having no fruit has the opposite effect. Barrenness, emptiness. When you have no fruit, you feel worthless. Don't ever get used to the emptiness of no spiritual fruit in your life. I I wouldn't want to come along and do a checklist and say, Gavin, is there any of these fruits in your life? You wouldn't want me to do that. (laughs) But shouldn't we do that and say, Lord, no wonder I'm defeated. It's not that the battle, the battle I think is over, over sin, but the battle is for fruitfulness. Never get used to that emptiness, there's no spiritual fruit. It is a Christian's duty to add as much to their life, bringing it in so that they can be fruitful. If there's no fruit, you need, if there's no, let's say, if you have one soul in your entire Christian life, you need to add Saturdays to your life and go out soul winning. If you're not able to go another time, you need to add that to your life like sap given to a branch so that you win a soul. You need to learn verses, add it to your life so that you can win a soul. If you have no grace, love, joy, peace, if you have none of that, you need to add a rough person to get along with. They'll teach you that. That that rubbing together with you, humbling you, will create love, joy, peace as the Holy Spirit activates it when you need it. Add whatever you need to your life so that you become fruitful. Now, there may be plenty of activity in your life. I got to get the kids. Oh, I got to go to the store. Oh, I got to go pay this bill. There may be, oh, I got to go to church. There may be plenty of money in your life, even popularity, yet all of those works are not fruit. You see, I could put a nice, beautiful picture here of a leafy green 
full branch, but no fruit. If there's all of that other stuff in your life and no fruit, don't be full of of that busyness and yet still be barren. Look at your life and go, Lord, I want fruit. Now, what Christ expects of us, look at John 15, 16. John 15, 16. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you, speaking to his disciples, and ordained you. I've purposed you that you should go and and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. I've ordained you. I've purposed you. I've called you to bear fruit. So the first thing that's most important, go back to chapter 15, verse 4. What's that first word? Abide in me. So the first thing that Christ expects of us, I can summarize it here, but I'm going to build on it, is a commitment to depend upon him for everything. I don't think you're there yet. You see, we live in the West. How many of you got a credit card in your pocket? Let me see your hand. Come on, ladies. You got your husband's credit card anyway, too. How many of you have money in the bank? Come on, some of you are not admitting. Come on, how many have money in the bank? You see, it's hard to trust the Lord when you got everything to take care of your needs. Now, there's nothing wrong with having money in the bank. Nothing wrong with having a job, credit card, nothing wrong with any of that. Nothing wrong with having money to pay bills. But there, if you want to have spiritual fruit, that money can't buy it. And that ability you have to preach, sing, um, uh, lead, um, uh, pray, all of these things, none of that will bear fruit. Only a dependence upon Christ will produce fruit. So if I say the word abide, I want you to understand that means to stay. That means that when, when you come to Christ as a, as, as a, as a sinner and you, and you got saved, you grab him and you never let him go. Now you will. Point that out in a minute. You'll fail him every other day. Thankfully, he doesn't ever let go, amen? But abide means hold on, stay with him. It means to continue with him. When he's going up and things are going great, and when he's going down and things aren't going great. Did his disciples stay with him all the way? No. Jesus had a a, a young man in Jesus' kingdom and says, uh, follow me. And, And the young man looks at him and says, um... Uh, I, I've, I've got parents back home and, and they're not dead yet and i got to go take care of them. Let me go take care of my family first. And Jesus said, any man who's put to the plow and he keeps looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And Jesus walked on. What was he asking him to do? He called and he says, follow me. And he says, but what, 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 I gotta, I, we got to do all this. Stay with me. Don't miss this chance. Don't miss this opportunity. Abide with me. It means to remain. I, Jesus looked out to his disciples. There were 20,000 one day. He preached to them about the cross and dying on the cross, and he used a very gory, very explicit uh, uh, illustration of flesh and blood as bread um, and, and life for the life of the world. And he says, forget this. And everybody walked away except 12. Do you remember that? 
What did Jesus say to his 12? Will you also go away? You know, there are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand. Would you agree with that? There are some times in the Christian life it just doesn't make sense. There are some times when trouble comes in and it just throws you first loop. You want to quit. Anybody been there? To abide means I'm going to remain. I will not go away. It means to stand firm. Dig your heels in. Some of you guys have heels. You didn't know it. <laughs> stand firm. To abide means I'm going to stay with Christ. Even though the world mocks me and makes fun of me and, and says cruel things about me and, and, and hurts me, I will stand firm. That's what it means to abide. Another phrase is to keep believing. Wow. Do you know there's a man in the Bible, his name was John the Baptist. John the Baptist firmly believed Jesus was the Messiah, didn't he? He even called him the Lamb of God, which taken away this in the world. Turn of events, John is captured, put into prison, and left there. And in prison, John got lower and lower and more discouraged and more depressed. And one day he sent a couple of guys over to Jesus and said, Are you the right one? Did, did I miss the Messiah? Did I make a mistake in believing that you were the Messiah? Wow. What happened with John? You and I have never been that low. But John lost his faith. Doesn't that scare you? John said, I guess you're not the one, Lord. You don't seem to care about me. You seem to let me languish here in this prison, Lord. You're out there feeding 5,000. I haven't had a meal in three weeks. John the Baptist lost it. Listen, abide means you just go right ahead and keep believing. Jesus never ran to John, never said, here, go take this food to John. He just said, that's a great man. He's the greatest man born of women. And he sent those boys back after healing everybody and said, go and encourage John. Tell him he can still believe I am the Messiah. To abide means I'm just going to believe. When it when all hell is broken loose, I'm still going to believe. To abide means to love being with him. Did the Apostle John love being with Jesus? I mean, people were coming and going, fixing meals. Where was John? I mean, just laying on his on his chest there. Just didn't want to move. Love being with. That's what it means to abide. You know, when I first uh Paul will remember. When I first started having discipleship in my house, there's another guy named Pat Tig. Paul and Pat would come over to the house probably about 7 o'clock. We'd start discipleship. And around 11, <laughs> around 11, you know, my wife's turning off the heat <laughs> and turning off all the lights in the house. And you just see Pat Tig going, can I get another cup of tea? <laughs> he just wanted to hang around. I like that. Because you know, everybody else can want to go home, but with the Lord, I just want to hang around. I just want to stay with Him. Do you? I just love being with Him. I love being with you too. And it's really a way of life. To abide is not to sample, dabble in, just, just taste. And Jesus said, abide in me. He's saying, make it a way of life that I am your life. That doesn't mean become a monk. We saw a few of those yesterday, too. <laughs> doesn't, become, doesn't mean become a nun. Doesn't mean that all day long you're doing your rosary beats. That's not what he's saying. But that Jesus is the most important thought 
in the most preeminent thought and the most natural thought that you have, whether in good days, bad. Just love him. So Christ expects of us to abide in the vine. He expects us to store up Christ's words. These, this fruit on the vine did not come from the branch. Where did it come from? The roots and the vine into the branch and then the fruit. So if I'm going to produce fruit, Christ says, get my words in you. Because Peter was asked, when, when Jesus said, we also go away, Jesus, Peter responded right away and he said, to whom shall I go? To shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal fruit, of eternal life. Stay spiritually clean. You want to produce fruit? Make sure your soil is clean. Meaning that you can spend, you can, you can spend all your effort trying to produce fruit, trying to win a soul, but if you're still dabbling in the old sin, guess what? You're not going to produce right fruit. It's going to be sour if it produces fruit at all. Let the word, what does he say in verse 3? Now are ye clean through the word. You know, it's nice to go, you pick a, a, a grapefruit, a grapefruit, the fruit of a grape, pick a grape, and you bite into it, it's fresh and it's refreshing because it's clean. It's clean. How to get that way? That vine has filtered it. Except pruning is from the hand of God. Too many Christians complain. We live in a world and a day where all we do is complain. Amen? And we got to start saying, you know, Lord, when you're stripping me down, hallelujah. When you're cutting things out of my life, praise God. When you're making things hard for me to have any sense of accomplishment, <laughs> hallelujah. I accept the pruning. Did Job learn that? I mean, consider Job was not being punished. He's being pruned. Stay in Christ's love. I don't have time. I wish I could go through. John 15's got so much. He says, abide in my love. What does that mean? Stay where you receive it. Stay where you sense it. You can't get out of, you can't stop being loved by Christ. Can I make it that clear? You can't stop being loved. But you can stop sensing it. Amen. Some of you can't handle a loud voice by a man who's upset at you. I mean, it's just unheard of. Some kid running around and some guy saying, sit him down. Everybody go, oh, he's an angry man. Oh, he's very... No, that's love. Amen. You see the kids out there playing in the street, by the street, and you say, get back from the street. You say, oh, what an angry man. Oh, he loves the kids. I mean, <laughs> if, 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 he'd say, oh, I don't want to offend Johnny. Offend Johnny. You want Johnny to live. And, and the truth is this. We wonder, sometimes the Lord is rough with us. What do we need? We need to take it as, you know, he loves me. He loves me and he chastens me and I accept it. Stay in Christ's love. Keep his commandments. Again, in John 15, he goes over, verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Over and over and over, he says, do things my way. You want to bear fruit? Do it my way. You're not trying to keep the Old Testament commandments. You're trying to keep Jesus' commandments. Even better. Love the other branches. Can you imagine if these, if these two, uh, I'm not, I'm not pointing fruits. I'm not getting my thought right. If these, if this branch next to another branch started fighting, started beating each other, all the fruit would be spoiled. 
Love the other branches. Jesus goes over in John chapter 15. I forget the word uh, where it is, uh, the verse it is, but um, verse 12 and verse 17. Thank you. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. Get along with the other branches. Love the other branches. Ask whatever you want. Isn't that crazy? He says, go ahead and ask whatever you want. If this branch wants to produce all that fruit, wants to produce as much as possible, it's going to need as much sap as it can get, as much sustenance. So go ahead and get whatever you need. Ask God for whatever you need. And desire to bear fruit. Desire to bear fruit. Why why go through life, as short as it is, and I'm finished with this thought, as much of a vapor as it is, and then end up in heaven with regret. I was talking to somebody this morning. One of the deepest, one of the hardest things about going to heaven is we're going to have regret. We'll have regret of not producing any fruit. Not having anything to show for our Christian life. Has he not given me so much? Has he not invested so much in me? And then when I walk into heaven and I have nothing to show for it, we'll be ashamed. Father, I just ask you to... um, Help us to look in our hearts and wonder, do we ever worry about abiding? Do we want fruit? Lord, please lay a soul on our heart tonight. If we could just give them the gospel one more time. If they would just get saved. Lord, help us to want to have the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of a godly life, fruit of praise coming out of our mouth instead of complaining and wicked things. I pray that we'd want to have fruit. Have fruit that is in others. You've given me everything. You became poor that I might be rich. What am I doing with those riches? What am I doing with all that you give me? It all begins in my relationship with you. More important than my relationship with my banker. More important than my relationship with my wife. More important than my relationship with my parents or my children. More important than my relationship with friends is my relationship with Jesus Christ. It all surrounds, if I spend time with you, Lord. If my first thought when I'm sad, when I'm discouraged, is you. When my first desire is to pray, when my first burden is to hold on to you, then I'm abiding. Lord, and when I abide, fruit will come. It's just, that's how it is. I can't produce fruit, but by my abiding with you, believing, holding on, digging in, loving you and loving being loved. It just produces fruit. It becomes natural. And everybody will know it. I don't have to force it. don't have to fake it. It'll just be real. Lord, can we right this moment say, Lord, make it real in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.